Embry is going to read for us Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was part of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the, who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be in the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young man not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young man have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why I have found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. And God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her the roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some still left, o- left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some f- from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law of whom she had worked and said, The, na- the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be... May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she and so she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley, wheat, and harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thank you. Thank you, Embry. The, the nature of God's will is often misunderstood. And the misunderstanding goes something like this. God has a plan for my life. I need to seek it. 
and I need to find it. And if I seek and find God's will for my life, then I will be in the will of God. But if I choose the wrong college or marry the wrong person or live in the wrong community or accept the wrong job, then my life will be something other than God's best for me and I will be outside of the will of God. Now, as you might expect, this misunderstanding makes decision-making agonizing. It's like God's will is a balance beam. And so long as I make all the right decisions, all the right choices, then I'm able to sort of navigate this three-and-a-half-inch beam that is the will of God. But if I make one wrong choice along the way, I've blown it. I've missed out on God's will, God's best. If you are living life on a balance beam, you may begin to think, you know what, it is better if I don't have any choice at all. Because if I don't have to make these choices, then I won't mess up my life. And then rather than trusting God, you may fall into a trap of thinking that your life is determined by fate or yin and yang or, or bad things and good things sort of leveling off as life goes on. Maybe your life is just the unfortunate consequence of other people's bad decisions. Alternatively, you may begin to think, I have made so many wrong choices in my life, or perhaps one of the wrong choices that I made was such a big one that there is no more hope for me. Please hear this. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing exceeds His power to handle. Follower of Jesus, you cannot wreck God's plan for your life because God uses even your sin, even your weakness, even your failure to accomplish His purpose for you. You're not going to miss out on God's will for your life because every moment of your life overflows with God's work for your glory, for His glory, and for your good. Ruth, too, helps us refute this idea that God's will for me is like a balance beam. Ruth 2 teaches us this. God delights in the ordinary faithfulness of ordinary followers of Jesus. Let me reset the context for us. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6 
Naomi hears that God has provided for his people again, and Naomi makes a decision to leave Moab and to go back to Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 22, Naomi and her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, arrive back in Bethlehem, and they get there at the beginning of the barley harvest. So what she heard back in chapter 1 verse 6 is true. She heard that God has provided food, and they arrive back in the town of Bethlehem, and the barley harvest is on. God has provided again for his people. The famine that we read about in chapter 1 is indeed over. But we all know this. Food being available does not take away hunger. The fact that there is food in the fields that's been made available by God to his people does not deal with the hunger that Naomi and Ruth are feeling. Somebody has to bring home the bacon. Kids, you know what that means to bring home the bacon? Well, if your dad is Mike Diley, it probably means that he's going to go and, you know, hunt a wild boar and actually bring home bacon. But for the rest of us, bringing home the bacon means providing, putting food on the table, having enough to get by. That's what it means to bring home the bacon. Someone is providing for the needs of the family. I'm thrilled that Mike, Mike Diley would do that with a wild boar for, for the record. And I hope he would share some bacon with us. Someone has to bring home the bacon. But these two widows have no crop to harvest. They have no money to buy food. And we have no indication in the text that anyone is going to help them. But the narrator lets us in on something. Did you notice that? Chapter 2, verse 1, the narrator tells us something that Ruth and Naomi don't know yet. Look at this, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family, and his name was Boaz. Now, this phrase, prominent and noble, it's a little bit ambiguous in the original Hebrew text, but it, it translates into something like this. Boaz is influential in the community. It probably means that he was wealthy, that, that he was a, a well-known person in the community, powerful, influential in some way. Noble character gives us that he was an honorable man. He was a man of integrity. People looked to him. And he wasn't just a distant relative. He wasn't just like how we might say, you know, your second cousin on your mother's side once removed. And you're like, okay, well, I ain't even married. I ain't even barely related to that person. The text tells us he was not just from Elimelech's side of the family. He was from Elimelech's family. 
This is good news. But Ruth and Naomi don't know this yet. The, the, the Hebrew author is giving us a little insight to something that was, that's going on in the text. He's, he's wetting our appetite for what is to come. It's tantalizing, isn't it? Well, who is this guy? Well, we don't know a lot about him. But we know that he's influential. And we know that he's honorable. And we know that he is a relative of Elimelech's. The widow's situation is nothing short of desperate. They need to eat to survive. And Ruth recognizes this, and she follows through. Did you notice? She follows through with ordinary faithfulness on the commitment that she made to her mother-in-law. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I am clinging to you like glue. And so Ruth is faithful in an ordinary way. Nothing fancy. She's just going out to bring home the bacon. Going out to provide, to put food on the table so that these two dear widows can survive. Verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather some fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor. Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left. This particular verse is lost on us uh, because we don't have a practice of gleaning. And so I want to take a moment and just get us caught up on what is going on here. Because in the Old Testament, God provides this gleaning as a way of caring for the poor, the widows, and the aliens. Those who are foreigners in the land of Egypt. Here's here's what gleaning looks like. When harvesters are working their way through a land, harvesting the barley grain... They um, are going to miss some. And when they miss some of that grain passing through the first time, they don't get to go back through and make another pass. They get one pass through their fields. If they miss some grain, if they drop some grapes when they're in their vineyard, those have to be left. And they're also instructed to leave the edges of the fields. So you don't harvest the whole thing. Some portion of the edge of every field was to be left growing in the field. What you are leaving in the field is called gleanings. And then here's what can happen. God invites the the poor, the widows, the fatherless, those who are foreigners in the land of Israel. You can come and you can pick up these gleanings. You come and you work in the field and anything that you find in this field after the harvesters have passed through one time, anything you can take off of the edges, that's yours. You, You pick that up and you take that home. Now, maybe there are a couple illustrations that help us grasp this just a little bit. I suspect that you have seen the shopping cart that grocery stores will set out sometimes after you have passed through the checkout and paid for your goods. You can deposit 
some non-perishable food items into the shopping cart, and those will go to the food pantry, right? You've done the work, you've purchased this food, and now you are making it available to somebody else. Annually, we do another, I think it's strange, but it is what it is. We, we have this practice of cleanup week, and we set stuff out on our boulevards, right? And then people can come along and take whatever they want. Like, don't set anything you want out there, because it's going to be gone. I think this may have been what Jesus and his disciples were doing on that Sabbath day when the Pharisees got stirred up. Remember, Jesus and his disciples were passing through a field, and it says that the disciples took some of the grain and they began to rub the grain together in their hands, and then they're popping this in their mouth, kind of like we might eat sunflower seeds. They weren't stealing, they were gleaning. This was a provision that God made for those who were poor. What does this tell us about Jesus and his disciples? They were hungry. <laughs> they, they were poor. They were getting by on, on what was made available to them by God's provision in his law. Look with me at three texts where God gives his people, Israel, this provision of gleaning. And I want you to notice that this is not just about God's people showing charity, participating in, in you know, depositing to the food bank. There's something else that's going on here that the book of Ruth doesn't tell us, but it assumes that we would know because we're readers of the whole Bible. Look at Leviticus 23. This will be on the screen. Leviticus 23, 22. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. The ESV, I think, says foreigner. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. Don't miss this. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 19. When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field. So your harvesters have bound up all of these sheaves. You've harvested it. It's been laying there. It's all been picked up. It's bound up with some twine like a hay bale, right? And you get it to the edge of the field and you're like, Joe, I told you to get that sheaf over there. You forgot it. You don't get to go back and get it. You left it. That now is God's provision. When you reap the harvest and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back and get it. It is to be left for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, do not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. What remains will be for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Verse 22, don't miss it. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. One more, Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. 
and Lord of Lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien since you were resident aliens or foreigners in the land of Egypt. So gleaning is not just about being charitable. Gleaning is anchored in who God is. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord of lords and the God of gods. That's who I am. And because of who I am, this is how I want you to respond. I want you to remember, people of Israel, you were one time a foreigner, a resident alien. You didn't have a home in the land of Egypt. Don't ever forget that. I provided for you and I delivered you out of that, brought you to this promised land and continue to provide for all of your needs. Gleaning is anchored in who God is and what God has done. It reminds me of the way that we, many of us, I suspect, pause before we eat a meal. And we take a moment to pray. What are we doing? I hope that we are remembering who God is. I hope that we are remembering that He has provided for all of our needs. And I hope that we're asking Him to make us hospitable and generous, and gracious, and kind. That we remember the good things that we have received are gifts from God, and we also ought to share all of the good things that He has given us. So, an Israelite landowner can bring home the bacon for his family, By going and working in the field, being faithful to gather and to harvest and to bring it into his storage barns, and by obeying these commands of God, also show love to the poor, the fatherless, and the resident aliens. What is this? This is just ordinary faithfulness. God's not even asking them to do anything extra. Just don't take it all and consume it all on yourself. Leave some behind as a way of being a conduit of God's goodness, God's grace, God's generosity towards others. If God's people are faithful in this ordinary way, then the poor and the fatherless and the widows like Ruth and Naomi, they won't be reduced to begging or borrowing or stealing. Why? Because through his people, God has generously provided for their needs. Verse 3. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. What's she doing? She's gleaning. 
She's doing what we read about in those texts from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. We know this. The narrator tells us. Ruth doesn't know this yet. We're in on the narrator's secret as the plot continues to develop in this story. But Ruth doesn't know. What do we make of this phrase, she happened to be? That's how it's written in the CSB. Uh, The ESV also says she happened to be. New King James, she happened to be. I think the NIV says, as it turned out. As it turned out. If we were reading this literally, it would say her chance chanced. Her chance chanced which isn't terribly helpful, we might use this phrase, it just so happened. That gets us really close, I think, to what the Hebrew author is going for here. It just so happened. Now, that sounds a lot like chance, doesn't it? That sounds kind of a lot like fate. Was it luck that brought Ruth to to the field of Boaz? Was this just a happy coincidence? Well, from a human perspective, it just so happened that Ruth makes her way into the field of Boaz. But from God's perspective... Ruth gleans in the field of Boaz by his sovereign design. It's true. Ruth could have wandered into any field. But she didn't. Naomi could have told her where to go, or who to look for, or what portion of the field she should make her way into. But... Naomi didn't. And yet there is no risk that Ruth falls off of the balance beam and makes her way outside of God's will. No risk that she finds herself outside of God's plan. Why? Because everything that has happened to these two widows is designed by God to bring Ruth to the field of Boaz at the time of the barley harvest. What has God done? Chapter 1 and verse 6. God provides food. Naomi hears that the famine is over and she decides to return home. Chapter 2, verse 1. The narrator tells us about a prominent, influential, honorable man who is a relative of Elimelech's. And two verses later, Ruth is gleaning in that man's field. This is the doctrine of providence. What is providence? Providence means God is always at work for his glory and the good of his people. 
Providence means nothing happens by chance. Providence means your future is not determined by fate. Providence means your life is not the outcome of a series of unfortunate circumstances. God designs every circumstance in your life for his glory and for your good. Accidental Accidental encounters, those are divine appointments. If I lose sight of this doctrine, if I lose sight of the fact that God is always at work for his glory and the good of his people, life feels overwhelming. Life can become monotonous and boring. Like I'm just crossing off days on a calendar, day after day after day after day, and it's just drudgery. Life can feel empty and purposeless. Anybody with me on that? But when I remember... That God is always at work for his glory and the good of his people. Then I also remember that God delights in ordinary faithfulness of ordinary followers of Jesus like me. When I remember that he is working all things for his glory and my good. And that I'm not walking on some foolish a balance beam that I have constructed in my mind. I don't have to do more than what God has called me to. I just need to be ordinarily faithful. Exhausted mom this morning. You just need to be ordinarily faithful. God's going to give you strength for today. His grace is sufficient for your today. Why is it hard for us to believe that this is true? Well, <laughs> I suppose it's possible that we don't really acknowledge God's sovereign control over our lives. If we don't believe that he is working all things for his glory and for our good, then we'll fall into the misunderstanding that God's will must be a balance beam and I might fall off of it. Maybe this is hard for us to believe because we are not mindful and we're not thankful of his moment-by-moment -moment care for us. Maybe it's because it's easier to get angry or to become depressed when life feels hard or meaningless. Instead of trusting in his sufficient grace. Maybe because we live with so much regret. Rather than walking in the light of forgiveness. 
God delights in ordinary faithfulness of ordinary followers of Jesus. So the foreman allows Ruth to glean in accordance with God's commands. Boaz goes well beyond what God has commanded. Did you notice that? He exceeds the provision of the law. He invites Ruth to follow those who are binding up the grain and take right from the piles. So if we're thinking about the illustration of the shopping cart, after you have paid for your goods, Boaz says, you just go make your way to the shelves and just clear up whatever you want, anything you can find. The store is yours. Go take it. He protects Ruth. He invites her to eat with him. He gives her of the roasted grain, the the food that he's eating. He shares it with her. And then he sends her home with all the leftovers from the meal. Very kind, very gracious. And perhaps 30 to 50 pounds of food. A dog food. The largest dog food size bag you know of. He gives that to Ruth. I'm not even sure how she carried it home. 30 to 50 pounds of grain. Look at what happens when she gets home to Naomi. Verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today? And where did you work May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. She sees her coming up the path with his dog food-sized bag loaded, not with dog food, but with grain, with food for them to eat, abundant provision. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him. Because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. What's going on here? When Naomi sees the kindness of God through the generosity of this man, Boaz, Naomi begins to realize that she is wrong about God. She believes that God is great, but not good to her. End of chapter 1, she thinks that the Almighty is afflicting her, is against her, is working against her. But she sees the kindness of Boaz and she recognizes this is God's gracious kindness through this man, Boaz. And faith begins to stir in Naomi again. This is wonderful. Her hard circumstances are not proof that God is afflicting her. Her uncertain future is not evidence that she has fallen off of the balance beam of God's will. 
through this generous but very ordinary faithfulness of Boaz. Naomi recognizes God is not against me. God is at work for his glory and the good of his people. I wonder, if God's kindness through Boaz stirred up faith in Naomi, how much more should God's grace stir up our faith? How much more should the death and the resurrection of Jesus make me thankful, mindful, aware of what God is doing in my life? When I remember that God has forgiven my past, and when I remember that God is right now taking care, providing for my present, working all things for my good in my present, then I am also encouraged to be hopeful, confident, even joyful about my future. If you're not trusting in Jesus right now, consider what God has done. Consider the lengths that he has gone to to stir up faith in your heart. Consider God sending His Son, His one and only Son, His perfect, spotless Son, into this cold, dark, dead, sinful world. Consider Jesus living among sinners, tolerating sinners, long-suffering and patient and kind with sinners. Consider Jesus enduring the shame and the suffering the persecution of the cross, and then seeing past that shame, enduring the wrath of God, seeing the joy set before him, laying down his life. Look at what lengths God has done, has gone to, to stir up faith in you. If you are not a Christian, respond to what God has done. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing exceeds his power to handle. God's will for you, child of God, is not a balance beam. When you can give up that misunderstanding and instead believe that God is always at work for his glory and the good of his people, that God designs every circumstance for his glory and for your good. Listen, the Holy Spirit is going to do work inside of you. He is going to free you from analysis paralysis. 
like Boaz. He will help you to be a conduit of his kindness and his grace towards those who need it. You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be fancy. You don't even have to be unreasonably busy. God just calls us to ordinary faithfulness. And if you will commit yourself to ordinary faithfulness, hear this, child of God, God will make you fruitful. God will use your ordinary faithfulness. And sometimes that's going to mean just bringing home the bacon like Ruth did. God will use your ordinary faithfulness to stir up faith in those around you. Can we pray together to that end? Let's do it.